Welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. So this is the first time in 2024 that we've all been together in the same room. So we thought we would try and do an episode including all five of the hosts. This could be a complete disaster, bear with us, um, but I'm pretty sure you will have listened to one or more of us, but just in case, we're gonna do a round of quick introductions. So I'm Emma and I lead the Researcher Development and Culture team at the University of Leeds. And my episodes are focused on research culture and research leadership. And I'm gonna fire it over to Jed. Hi everyone, this is Jed Hall. Um... I'm an academic development consultant in Emma's team, and my specialism is research impact, and that's really what most of my episodes have been about. I'm Ruth Winden, and I'm the Careers with Research Consultant at the University of Leeds, and as my title suggests, I focus on the career development of our researcher community, and all of my episodes have been with colleagues who I worked with helping them develop their careers. Over to Nick. Hello, uh, so I'm Nick Shepherd. I'm Open Research Advisor based in Research Services in the Library, so the only um, one of the uh, presenters who isn't actually ODMPL. Uh, and as, again, my job title would suggest, my specialism area is open research. So all my episodes have been about open research. And Tony? Uh, hi, I'm Tony Bromley, also of the ODMPL that uh, Nick just mentioned, the Organisational Development and Professional Learning. I'm an academic development consultant. Um, uh, my specialist particularly is in postgraduate research, but you'll see my first series of episodes reflected the Research Education Development Scholarship Conference. So there's quite a diversity of subjects in that season. So I think we did pretty well on that bit. We all managed to introduce ourselves without stumbling over. So I'm going to go straight into what we're here to discuss. We thought if we're all coming together for the first time this year, why not think about what we think is going to happen in our respective areas? So what are our predictions for 2024? And importantly, what are we as a team or as individuals going to do to address or respond to those predictions? So I'm going to start off by putting Jed on the spot and asking him what his three predictions for 2024 are going to be in the area of research impact. So there's a number of things that probably are happening in the sector and, and, and research assessment happens in lots of places. Um, so there's um, there's lots of things that are uncertain about what to what our next research excellence framework in the UK will actually be about. So there's a lot of testing and, and thinking about the people and culture element of that. So that's that's a big thing that we're all looking forward to hearing more about um, as the year progresses. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens in Australia because their assessment is scheduled for, you know, they've actually announced that it will happen 24, 25, but there's still no um, real details about that. So it'd be interesting to see what happens in Australia. And then the fascinating thing for me was um, was kind of having a look at what, uh, what the kind of research assessment process is in Australia, because that's uh, a key thing in REF has been to try and make sure it's an assessment of the institution rather than of the individual. 
and and it was interesting looking at the guidance in in New Zealand where everybody who submitted submits a portfolio of evidence which may include impact um coming back to my topic may not it's not a compulsory part so that that was interesting in terms of different um different approaches so that that's kind of a big uh not a prediction but a big kind of lots of uncertainty that uh, that it'd be nice to see um filled in in terms of kind of impact roles in universities in the uk i think one of the my worries is that the funding pressures in in our sector might mean that the, there's lots of roles being advertised at the moment i think that'll kind of ease off in the next year um because the funding pressures will will come to bear uh, a little bit more and that's starting to happen um in sheffield for instance sheffield allen recently um and then kind of more closer to home for me it's uh i think in uh, in training areas for impact i think we'll be moving in a in a direction of more coaching type approaches that are fully embedded in the in the practice of of research rather than you know coming to a separate program or um or workshop on impact i think we'll be more embedded and that's going to lead me to jump into mine because you've already mentioned ref and obviously that's going to be a huge thing with the people and culture uh, and environment parts I think we're going to see a lot more around the wider contributions that researchers make and how we recognize those and how we work with the researchers and also those people supporting research to make sure that all of those are, are recognized properly. And it is going to be really interesting to see what that is going to look like and whether or not there's going to be a framework that we use or work to, heaven forbid, something else like another Concordat. Um, but I think it's definitely going to be the priority for the work that I'm doing, particularly as we're seeing more narrative CV styles coming out in funding calls and getting researchers to really think about the wider contributions they make. Yeah, just interesting. I, I noticed in Portugal just over the last, uh, just just before Christmas, they announced what their assessment process would be, and narrative CVs is part of that. So, yeah, it is uh, it is emerging across uh, across the world, actually. So, with that lovely link to narrative CVs, I'm now going to throw the question over to Ruth because obviously there's a tie in here with careers as well. Yeah, absolutely. And when I think of 2024, and I did a little bit of research over the festive break, looking at what do we discuss in careers and in HR. And one thing that is absolutely no surprise to you is AI and careers. It has already revolutionized the way that we apply for jobs, that we write CVs, that we do our LinkedIn profiles, how employers use AI for recruitment. And my main worry and concern is actually, you know, I don't want us to outsource our career management to AI because there are many positives, but there are also many challenges. And for me, it's about helping our researchers embrace AI where it makes sense, but not shifting all the responsibility over to AI because AI is, is an enabling tool but it has many disadvantages. And I think we always have to make sure that we are in control of the process and that we don't lose out on bringing across who we as individuals are, because that's the danger with AI. The other area that is hotly debated in HR circles is actually retention of staff and internal career management. And what I really see coming is a much greater need for all of us 
to learn how to manage your career internally. So in the years before, often, okay, you know, people would look at opportunities and easily and happily leave. And there is a real trend that people actually want to stay. And I think that's also a sign of the you know, the unpredictable world we live in. So they want to stay with their employers, grow their careers with their employers, which is a really good um, approach in my view. But how do we do it well? And again, I think a lot of my work this year is centering around helping our colleagues to manage their careers well, learn how to, yeah, position themselves accordingly and position themselves to opportunities. And then the third one, and I know there is a little bit of overlap with Tony. It's all about the uncertainty created by the UK government's recent visa restrictions. So before Christmas, we had a lot of postdocs getting in touch with us, extremely worried about the news, the new income thresholds and what that meant for their job security and for their ability to stay. And also, obviously, postdocs considering can I actually afford to come to the UK because the salaries are not in line with the visa um, restrictions and the salary thresholds and that is obviously a massive worry and I will be looking into this what I can do as a career professional to support our postdoc community but I think there is a moving goalpost because the government has already changed their minds on some of it and lowered the threshold. So it's very difficult to predict anything, but I'm very aware that people in our community are very concerned and it's really in my gift to at least, you know, address it, help people, you know, address the issue, find solutions if possible, and if need be, help them move on. And that would obviously be incredibly sad, but at the end, you know, Leeds has always been very positive and supportive of people managing their careers, and that includes our researchers. So AI, internal career management, and then how are we dealing with the latest government restrictions concerning visas? And Tony, do you want to come in on this? Because I know that you also have that, but from a different angle. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of concerned from the postgraduate research side to see how things develop. So one of the other aspects of, of policy is that um, people coming to the university to study as undergraduates won't be able to bring family members from overseas. Um, postgraduate research is currently excluded from that, but still you're changing a body of the community at the undergraduate level. And like any other big research university, we do recruit a lot of people onto PhD programs from our undergraduate body. So if the undergraduate body changes, is there a knock-on effect to the recruitment of the P PGRs just from the internal aspect? But also, uh, does it in general knock on to international uh, researchers' views of coming to do research degrees in the UK? So we'll see. We'll just have to see how things develop. And as, as you said, Ruth, it is a bit of a, a moving feast and, uh, and, you know, things can change uh, month to month. Um, shall I continue with my other aspects? <laughs> yeah. Over I, was, to me. I was just going to say nobody on this podcast is going to hold Ruth or Tony accountable for government decisions going forward, but please do continue, Tony. <laughs> well, yes. Um, so and another aspect I'm interested in, um, I almost dreaded to, to mention the COVID word again, but um, like most institutions, our personal professional development diversified during COVID and we went on, we did an awful lot more online and we developed all sorts of online platforms, particularly using LinkedIn Learning. We developed programs like the Career Catalyst, which we can make um, some information available to people if anybody's interested. So I'm just interested next year in how ourselves and other institutions 
will perhaps rebalance to some extent how we deliver personal professional development activity researches because we don't want to lose any of the gains that we made uh, in terms of online provision. But uh, we, of course, recognize that our customers, our constituents, or our researchers also like face-to-face -face provision as well. So how is our delivery of our professional development going to pan out over the next 12 months? Also, a knock-on effect to us, what we do specifically, but more general, generally, the PhD programs, there's also different ways of doing PhD programs and things like online and distance learning PhDs have been around for many years. Uh, will we have more different ways of doing a PhD and that knocks on to our professional development? So those, those are the sort of the, the core sort of things I had. And the, just the last point about the AI is, um, perhaps another negative, is this the year that we spot some AI going on in submitted PhDs? Do we find a literature review that seems to be an AI done literature review? It's happening at undergraduate level of assignments and what have you. So it'll be interesting to see how AI impacts I've put negatively there, but I'm sure there's positive impacts on the research side as well. Um, I'll pass back to Emma. Good. Yeah, I just wanted to come in on that uh, kind of flexibility of um, of delivery, Tony, because uh, one of the programmes that we launched during the COVID lockdown periods was fully online. So we've been asking uh, while we've been recruiting for that, what what would you prefer? And and interestingly, the the least picked was fully face to face. So people really want kind of. I think it's wants flexibility rather than you know one mode or the other and that's interesting jed because i was just approached by people um who are part of our online program and they've been begging me to run an in-person session on <laughs> campus which i have um obviously um said yes to because then we're making a really valid point that not everyone is suited for the online learning experience and they felt isolated and they said we learn so much better in person and it's such a challenge is it getting it right and i see is experimenting for many many more months with this and i don't think there is a one fits all answer to this. Jed and I were developing a program that would be exclusively on campus and will see how that goes others are now a mix so that's what i try as well and it would be so interesting to see how are we helping people learn and grow in many different ways so that can people really can follow their preferences and make the most of the learning opportunities that we offer i think that's that's the complexity that of, of what's under flexibility because it's almost like from one minute to the next in a in a in a maybe a longitudinal program that you know maybe this one we want to be face to face next one we want to be fully remote and maybe somewhere in the middle in terms of a hybrid option for the one afterwards and you know i think we've got to be able to kind of be able to play with all of those options i think as as well uh, as we talk we're talking about different formats um, it's also confusion in terms of the researchers who are going to receive, for want of a better word, the professional development from us. If they say, if they say, have you got anything on leadership? And we say to them, well, you can have it hybrid. There's something online. I've got a sway for you. There's something in LinkedIn learning. What would you like? Uh, if we do that for every topic that we offer, then yeah, the way we communicate our offer is going to have to be uh, clear and non-confusing. Nick, have you got anything to add to this one? 
Well, I'm not sure about, I mean, I've just, obviously I'm sat here listening and it what always strikes me working with um, you all on this podcast and more generally, you know, in other contexts that we work together is just how, how our different areas overlap. So you've already all mentioned in different contexts, many of the things that are also preoccupying us in the library. So for example, you know, hybrid provision of library training is obviously a concern for us as well. AI, you know, how that affects open research, well, research in general and uh, open research practices is a big question as well. The REF obviously started off talking about the REF and, you know, that's a big thing for us in the library as well. So how that all intersects um, in a big research institution is really challenging. And so uh, just to come back to those predictions, if, uh, you know, in the, the, I'm not sure I can give three clear predictions. But, and this may sound perhaps a little bit idealistic, but what I'd really like to emphasise needs to happen is, and is happening, I think, across the sector and across the university is increased collaboration. You know, that's what it's about. It's about collaboration with colleagues with different expertise, different professional services, whether that's professional services or academic colleagues, um, academic colleagues in different disciplines. And, you know, the, the power of collaboration really can't be understated. And that's what open research is all about. Um and in that context, you know, certainly in the sector as a whole, and that leads the main thing for the specific context of open research is really, I think, about upskilling people, advocacy, you know, helping people to understand what open research is. Again, ties in with some of the things you were saying at the top, Emma, around, um, you know, valuing different diverse contributions. And again, that's part of the research culture aspects of open research. So we're not just focused on a journal article you know it's all the components and the activities um that go into a res the research process right throughout the research process um including beyond to impact and public engagement and the stuff that jed does so again just trying to tie all these things together i think is really um important um and the probably the main thing that i'll be focusing on um i think will be trying to understand and the sector as a whole but trying to understand and trying to develop um guidance on what open research means in different disciplines and in different research methodologies because you know open practice is very different in the stem discipline than it is in the social sciences or the humanities for example but again that doesn't mean that they can't learn from one another and you know collaborate across with each other so yeah there's some of the things again i was just listening as you were all talking and i may have gone off on a bit of a tangent there but uh, i don't know if that resonates with any with with you in terms of what you said and I can I can see Tony's desperate to come in here. <laughs> no, it's it's putting Nick on the spot. Um, I went to a very interesting meeting before Christmas, uh, and they were talking about the sensitive research agenda, and it was a, a group reporting back on the the viewpoints in terms of what they take forward. I just wondered how well that fitted in with your work, or what your yeah. view was on on and what the issues are on sensitive it's... research. It's really, really difficult. I mean, to, not to put not to put too fine a point on it, and it is it's preoccupying us actually in all sorts of ways at the moment in the library and across the sector. Not least because we've got um, increasing requirements from funders and policies and expectations from um, government or you know whoever to share data. Now that's fine, and we you know have mantras like as open as possible, as closed as necessary. But actually, the governance around how that happens is really complicated. And how that ties in with the ethics process, you know, so any data derived from human participants has to go through an ethics process. You need to make sure you've got the right consent in place to make sure that that can be shared. If you've got special category data around uh, gender identity or religious belief or whatever it is, all that kind of stuff has to be very carefully managed. So it's a really, really difficult area that the whole sector is um, uh, 
grappling with at the moment um, and specifically also at Leeds you know so we've got um, various groups looking at data governance and making sure that data is being properly looked after right throughout the research process and ideally to be shared underpin reproducible research so that the research results can be reproduced but you can only share the data if all the ethical procedures and consents and information etc is is all in place and it's it's no no small task. Ruth you look like you wanted to add something there. <laughs> I just loved um, Nick's comments about the collaboration and I always think our podcast is such a lovely collaboration as well and although some of our work overlaps there are also such distinct differences and I have so much enjoyed learning about all of your areas of expertise and yeah throwing our five minds together and our yeah our need to share and talk and laugh and create something together and so I just want to say thank you to that because I know I get teased endlessly by my co-podcast hosts that initially I think it was my idea and golly, we didn't realize or I didn't realize how much work it is, but also I think personally how much joy it is. And I see Jed is jumping up and down and wants to say something. So I'll hand the mic over to Jed. Yeah, it definitely was your idea, Ruth. And um, I definitely remember being kind of anti at the time. Um, but, uh, but it has been absolutely thrilling. And uh over the last year in terms of all the interviews that we've had with people because it's you know it is lovely to just have a natter um about something that you're fascinated by and you know impact is fascinating for me but it you know just coming back to something that nick was saying in, in terms of that kind of teamwork you know there there are lots of overlaps and we have to really consider that you know in, in sort of system thinking if you want to be um, kind of a sound a bit theoretical uh, about it, but you know this is a system, and and when we make a change in in one part of the system, we always have to consider where what's happening in another part of the system that maybe is an unintended consequence. So I think those are the complexities around the kind of jobs we do and uh, and and the work we do um, with researchers. Um, uh, and what we call ourselves when we're doing that work with researchers, you know, that's a that's also a fascinating topic that uh, that people have been, um, you know, why do we call ourselves research adjacent or research enablers or research support? You know, which is your preference? What's yours then, Jed? Well, actually, I, when I first heard adjacent, I hated it, and <laughs> and um, and. The, when we had when Ruth and I had the chat with um, with Sarah, who who coined the phrase in in her podcast, the Research Adjacent podcast, she actually convinced me that actually it's it's about the best we've got at the moment because enabler just makes you sound as if you're there to create the environment. You know that you know nothing you do has any value in its own right. It is just to create the environment for the research to happen. Maybe you know that. That, that is our purpose and, and that feels okay, but it just feels a bit lower level and support feels even lower level. So there's kind of like that, th those sorts of, mm, how am I being valued kind of issues going on? Uh, I know Nick wants to come in on that. I was just going to say, you know, that's certainly something we've been thinking about in the library, uh, not my, me personally necessarily, but uh, we, you know, we've kind of rebranded ourselves. We've always called ourselves research support. Uh, but now we research services and I think that's in recognition 
or to, you know, as part of the culture of the university and that we can actually contribute in a very real sense to the research that's happening, whether that's through data management or the expertise around open research or bibliometrics or various other things that we can support, can can facilitate, can help with, can do in the library, you know, mm. and uh, I think that's an important part of uh, of the culture of a, of a research-intensive university. Well, personally, coming back in on that, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced that even in, you know, places well away from my own uh, research background in, in chemistry, you know, kind of places over in more your neck of the woods, Nick, with uh, with English, that there is such a thing as the lone scholar model. I, you know, I just think that's a myth that research has always happened through teams. It's just whether we actually valued the other members of those teams. Yeah, you know, it really struck me actually. Um, I was just listening to your last podcast, Jed, um, with uh, remind me of the names, uh, Vicky and Fran, was Fran. it? Yeah, Fran. And, and as part of that conversation, there was there was a really interesting conversation because I'm not an academic. You know, I've got an undergraduate degree in English, as you say. Um, but that sense that academics are sort of identified. What it was something you said. What what, what are you? You know, and you're well, I'm a chemist, or you know, Ooh. and as somebody working in the library, I think I'm. You know, I'm a lay person, I suppose, but I'm also a generalist, and I, you know, and that, and there's a place for that, and you know, the specialism of a specific discipline is obviously beneficial, and we need to work with them to understand the, the, the particulars of a specific discipline. But at the same time, that more broad um, lens that a librarian, for example, can bring to something is important as well. I was just interested in in what Jed said to talked about being valued and respect. And, and for me, it's it's not it's less about what we call ourselves. It's more about anybody involved in the research process feeling valued and respected. And I, the, the sort of I could go on a sporting analogy or a musical analogy, but you know, in in the sporting arena, the, the striker who scores the goals it gets the, the limelight and there's more. But if you haven't got a goalkeeper in the defence, then the football game's not going to happen. You know, in the musical arena, there's so many people going to, involved in putting some sort of concert on stage. And yes, without the performer on the stage, uh, that's the thing's not going to happen. But without the lighting, the recording and all around it, it's not going to happen either. So it's about everybody in the process being valued, I think. So we're never going to agree on what we call ourselves, but we do agree that what we do is really important. We've talked about what our predictions are for 2024, but what are we actually going to do about it? Well, for me, um, a really simple one. Um, so there's, uh, I'm going to record a episode around impact coaching, um, and it, you know, there's been uh, there's been sessions on that that I've been part of with other with other people from across the sector in 2023. So I'm going to kind of try and move my thinking forward through the act of recording a podcast in terms of how does that how does impact coaching fit in to every discipline's research practice um and what does that mean for the person providing the coaching so so i want to you know i want to use the um the pain of the podcast that uh, that ruth has inflicted on me um to to push my practice forward in that space um, the other thing I wanted to do more of um, is actually doing doing more of what we can to celebrate the team. Um, so we, um, Nick mentioned the 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 episode with um, with Fran and Vicky, and I also did another episode with 
um, with Emily and Mark. Mark was the director of the centre that uh, uh, that they they work in. It, it was interesting in terms of that. In terms of it, they were constantly talking about the team, and I think that's uh, that's something I want to do more on in, in terms of rather than getting an interview with an individual or two individuals, you know, kind of like bring the whole team together. What do they see as the team and 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 what are the um what are the elements of that that make it successful? Blimey, good luck on that one. Hmm. It's hard enough with just five of us trying to coordinate. <laughs> well I'm trying to push myself, you know, always trying to push myself in that uh, kind of developmental space. <laughs> what about you, Ruth? Well, when it comes to AI, thankfully, I know several people in my industry who are totally hot on AI and love the topic and have a lot to say, and they've done a lot of research. So we're getting these people in because AI and careers is not my expertise. And so I believe in getting those people in who've spent the last six months really going deep into this topic. And when it comes to internal career management, for me, that is such an important topic I'm planning to publish a little bit more in terms of case studies, tips, how to manage your career internally, because I do think there's a huge shortage of knowledge and capability in that area. And we all need to get our heads around that a bit more. Also, I have developed quite an interest in secondments as a career development tool. And I have several researchers who've moved on and used secondment strategically to enhance their careers and thankfully I am all in touch with them on LinkedIn and I think we'll do an episode together to explore how can you drive, enhance, um, push your career forward through secondments and then the last piece yes the visa restrictions and how it affects our researcher community I feel really passionately about it it reminds me of the times when I went through Brexit as a German national and how scary it was and we didn't even have half the sanctions and restrictions that are now coming for our international colleagues and I need to watch the space a little bit because it's moving so quickly but I really think I need to put on a few workshops really looking at people you know, what strategies can we come up with? How can you feel more secure? What, which strategies can we pursue in terms of securing the next contract? All these kind of things. So lots to do this year. And I'm also really looking forward to, I have a long list of people who want to come onto the podcast with career conversations and sharing how they've driven their careers through some of our programs at Leeds here and where they've got to in the end and yeah it will be fun but I hand over now to maybe Nick what are you going to do this year not that you're not busy enough as well, it is I mean, yeah good questions uh, I mean a lot of I mean can you there's a lot of strategic work going on around well research culture obviously in general and open research in particular so through our open research advisory group um, that I sit on and Emma's on that group as well we're trying to coordinate a lot of this work. So, for example, um, there is um, a program of open research champions, as we call in them, and that's going to be uh, the Dories, uh, uh, Dories, the directors of research and innovation, who are senior members of uh, research staff at um, school level. Um, so, I'm very much hoping that'll help us to try and drill down into open research at a disciplinary in a disciplinary context in different research methodologies for example um 
along with that, we're actually recruiting very soon to a coordinator role for that will support the Dorries in their open research champion role. So I think that's an important area. Again, strategically, there's lots going on actually around the sensitive data that, that Tony was asking about. So there's uh, what we're calling a task and finish group looking at data governance, um, taking in you know infrastructure, et cetera. I'm on another, as we call task and finish group, again, strategically sort of coordinating this stuff. You know, if you can strategically coordinate collaboration, lots of different colleagues from different parts of the university on these groups looking at, um, in my case, um, open research um, uh, resources, so training, and making sure that we've got all the information online and we've got all our training courses collated or both internally and externally. As part of that as well, we're working with UKRM. We're now a member of the UK Reproducibility Network. I'm actually hoping to, uh, with you, hopefully Ruth, actually, in fact, bring on um, Professor Darrell O'Connor, who is our lead uh, academic colleague for UKRM, um, to talk to him um, about UKRM and perhaps his career in open. He's always been open in open research, so keep an eye out for that if we can get Darrell on the podcast. Um, yeah, so lots, lots going on. It's uh, it's difficult to sort of summarise um, all the different things that are happening, but they're the main things I think at the moment. And Tony, how are you going to tackle the PGR priorities that you've identified? Um, well, probably I'm going to about to give myself some work in saying what I'm about to say. Uh, so we, we, you know, periodically get like everybody does. We look at our uh, strategy on the employability area for postgraduate research. So we're, we're in that cycle uh, at the moment. Uh, one of the things we also do periodically as part of that is look at the do a snapshot of provision available across the campus for postgraduate researchers. Uh, because well, we're one of the central providers, but like many universities, we've got multiple providers of personal professional development activity, and then there's schools and programs, etc., who provide stuff. So I was just as we've had this conversation as part of that audience, I, I can now see a spreadsheet that has a column that says how mode of delivery. So I think it might well take the opportunity just to just actually see what we're doing at Leeds and perhaps there's a chance to share some anonymized not sensitive data with other institutions in terms of their modes of delivery on the professional development area as well and then on the big scale I mean we're thinking about government policy etc and then just remembering that actually this year I might be able to do something about government policy because we may well get to vote so I shall look at the various parties and their views on research and I shall vote accordingly, should we get the opportunity to vote this year. Stay tuned for Tony's podcast episode on who to vote for, should we be given that opportunity. <laughs> should stay, say at this point that the views are our own and not necessarily those of our institution. Um, I think for me, a lot of my work is going to be around preparing us for what comes with REF. So whether that's preparing us as an institution or for working with individuals or working across the sector to make sure that what goes into the people, culture and environment parts actually reflects what we do in our institutions and doesn't just become another long tick box exercise. This is about collaboration. It shouldn't be about competition. So it's trying to keep that focus on it. I just wanted to come back in. I mean, it'd be... Uh, um remiss of me to let a podcast go without mentioning Wikimedia, um, but that is certainly an area that uh, we're hoping to do more on and a really collaborative um, aspect as well. And with real potential to, I think, learn about open research and open practice in general. Um, and then you had just mentioned, you, you used the term Emma, um, collaboration and not competition. And that's kind of the tagline of the Knowledge Equity Network, which is another ongoing initiative that I'm involved with. 
and again, really trying to make sure that what we're doing as a university is having a real impact in the world, both locally and um, nationally and internationally, you know, and really making sure, thinking about what a university is actually for. And it's not about chasing the rankings. It's not about competing with other universities. So it shouldn't be. It should be about, you know, actually making some positive change in the world. So, yeah, um, Knowledge Equity Network and Wikimedia are two other things that I'll certainly be focusing on this year. And of course, um, as as all of you have mentioned, it's all about development. We are continuing our own development and I will be continuing to learn from the bees. They have so much more to teach me about research culture and I will be sharing that with you again when they wake up from their winter hibernating. I'm not going to tempt fate any longer because I think we've done pretty well on, in terms of making sure we've all had a say and we're not talking over each other. It wasn't the crash as it was when we first started and tried this. We were told never to try it again, but we decided we would we would try. We've learned, we've developed. Um, so thank you all very much for joining us today and stay tuned in 2024 to find out what we actually get up to. Thank you so much, everyone. Happy New Year. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks everyone. Um, and hopefully speak to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Thanks for listening, and here's to you and your research culture.